Well, greetings listeners in listener land. Welcome to St. Louis in Tune with Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston, where we size up current and historic events involving people, places, and things in areas such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, health, history, housing, humor, justice, sports, and government. We originate from and connect the Gateway City to our country's current cultural fabric and lives. All right. So our return to civility today is care for things as if they're irreplaceable. When you leave your kids or your spouse or your mom or your dad, you always want to have a good relationship when you walk out the door because you don't want to have a bad relationship and then something happens and then people feel guilty. And I know our next guest had a good relationship with her son, but what was unfortunate is her son was killed back in 2013. And she used the grief and energy that that death generated to co-found Corey's Network, which was named after her son. And the goal of this organization is to help families of homicide victims. And they say that there are more than 700 unsolved murders dating back as far as 1970 across the, the Kansas City area. They are based in Kansas City. And this is applicable, folks, here in St. Louis, because it's important that we listen to this, because their mission is to provide immediate support, advocacy, and services to surviving victims of homicide in the Kansas City metropolitan precincts without advocates. And we're talking to Shelly Norris. Shelly, welcome to St. Louis in Tune. Thank you. Now, this is a labor of love that you never imagined you would have to be doing. and. I think you have really done a great job of channeling and pushing all of the grief and angst and everything that I can't imagine what goes along with the death of a child into providing something that's beneficial and helping other people. Thank you. And to be honest, Arnold, I don't want you to ever understand what I've gone through what I really want you to understand, though, is that if you ever have to go through it, that Corey's Network and I will be here for you if you do. Now, talk a little bit about what Corey's Network does, because you've taken on huge thing, and let's just go through some of the things that you do, okay? Okay. Like you said, our mission statement is to provide immediate support and advocacy for the surviving victims of homicide. And what we do is we provide Recalled to counseling. We help people understand the investigation and the court processes. And we help people understand and how to navigate the media. And then we also help pay for funerals. And to date, we've helped pay for over 350 funerals of homicide victims that were uninsured in the Kansas City metropolitan area. Additionally, we have a a seminar that we hold every Monday evening for five weeks in a row, and then we take off a Monday, and then we do it for five weeks in a row, et cetera. And it's called Grief to Relief. And GRIEF is an acronym for Groups, Reporters, Investigators, Enforcement, and Forward. And what that means is we talk about the different groups in the Kansas City metropolitan area that people can connect to because we understand that not everyone can connect just with Corey's Network. If there's other great groups that are out there that can also provide services, and if we don't get help with us, we get help somewhere. Ours for reporters because we want people to 
understand that the media is not a villain and we want them to get good relationships with people in the media so that they can see that the media will actually help you be able to solve your homicide. I it's for investigators, so we actually hit people up to the different investigators in the Kansas City metropolitan area from different precincts, and we'll bring in, like, the captain of the homicide squad from the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department so that people can talk to them about how is it best for me to contact my detective or what's the best way for me to um, reach them so that they can do their job and still be able to give me the information that I need. It's for enforcement, so we talk about prosecution and the court processes at that point. Do I bring in advocates or prosecuting attorneys, et cetera, to talk about your rights and responsibilities as far as the court process is concerned and how that's going to look, and then it doesn't look anything at all like what you see on television in that 47-minute television crime show that you've been watching. And then forward is to talk about the fact that there is no moving on, there is no closure, there's no getting over it. Those are all myths that people try to feed themselves because it's such a huge mouthful to to try to swallow when something this terrible happens that we want to believe that you're going to get over it. But in reality, there is no getting over it. It's just moving forward. And you're always going to have this grief with you, but how do you move forward with that grief and still be able to be a productive part of society, still love people, still care about others, and still be the person who shows your children or the other people in your family or the other people in your neighborhood how to move past the worst day of your life and still be able to be a productive part of society. And then, of course, we also do our yearly vigil. And the that is for all unsolved homicides in the Kansas City metropolitan area. And we've done our homework and we've gone back to 1970. And we've found, we've uncovered so far 700 unsolved homicides in the Kansas City metropolitan area. And if you really look at it, 70, 1970, that's 52 years. And that's really not a high number per year, but it is a high number of people that feel as though they've been forgotten. Because if you think about somebody being without answers since 1970, that's, to me, that's just horrific. And for me, Corey's case was unfogged for three and a half years. And that was, that was just, gut-wrenching to me, and I could not imagine being the mother of this young man who was murdered in 1970 and still not having the answers. What kind of response have you gotten from law enforcement and the court system from all of this work that you've done? This is a kind of a twofold question. First of all, I guess I should back up. How did you get these groups involved? And then what kind of overall response have you gotten from like law enforcement in general about Corey's network and what you were doing? Getting them involved was a long process. I'm not going to fib because there are a lot of people that go out and say, I'm, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to be an advocate for crime victims and et cetera. And then they kind of fall to the wayside kind of quickly. I had 25 years of social work in my path before I my son was murdered. So I'd already had that foundation and knew how to create a nonprofit. And so they, I was new to the thing when they first saw me. So they looked at me like, 
okay, she'll be here for about six months and she'll be gone. Now, eight years later, I'm still here and the process has been, like I said, it was difficult. But when you go with the idea that I'm not trying to take over what you do, I'm not trying to replace you, I'm not trying to rebuke you, I'm not trying to get in your face and tell you what you've done wrong or confront you or anything else. I'm trying to support your efforts because I see that your efforts are because you care about people. And then you're trying to actually be that person that that connects the victim to these different services and help them understand that the media is not going to put the microphone in front of your face and say, tell me all your dirty secrets. And instead you are, you're now saying, okay, I want you to talk to this particular person because they can, they can help you. They can tell your story the way that you need it to be told. Or this, the captain of the police department wants to be able to solve your crime just as much as you do. And they want to make sure that the detectives get the information the way that they need to get the information. And in explaining to it, I think it's harder to explain now to the client that, okay, yes, your police officer is not returning your phone call. I understand that he's not returning your phone call or she's not returning your phone call. But the problem is that they are out in the daytime trying to solve the homicide. And they're not going to be back at their desk until midnight. And they are not going to call you at midnight. Just send them an email. Because they will answer your email at midnight. And on top of that, you've got a chain of evidence yourself that you have asked that question. And you've got your documentation that you can prove that you have asked that question. And then if they don't answer, send it to them again. And when you start doing that, the people that are in the supervisory position start seeing that you're really supporting them. Once that started falling into place and they started seeing that what we were doing was trying to support, we have media people out here that are anchors that they'll come to our Monday evening groups because they'll come in for the reporters portion and they'll say, I am part of Corey's network, and because I am part of Corey's network, this is what we're able to do. So we have community members that are not on our board, that are not in any way, shape, or form titled Corey's network, but they identify as part of Corey's network because of what they do in conjunction with us. Then the other groups that we work with, we have memorandums of understanding where we say, we will refer people to you. And then in response, what you're going to provide for us is counseling for adults. Or you will provide counseling for children. Or you will provide mentoring and conflict resolution. And those are things that they already provide. But what I'm going to do is I'm not going to get out of my lane and try to provide counseling when I know I'm not a counselor. And I'm not going to try to provide conflict resolution and mentoring because I'm not a conflict resolution advocate. I'm a homicide advocate. And you guys can do that. 
So once they see that I'm not trying to tell them how to do their job or trying to get out into their business, I'm just trying to help them. They're actually sending me letters saying, hey, can you write a letter saying that we have been supporting you and you've been supporting us for the last year and they're getting more money for grants. So once they started seeing that that's what happened, that's how it unfolded. And I've been talking so long now, Arnold, I forgot the second question. No, you answered it. I wanted to let you go and not interrupt you because you were doing a really wonderful job of explaining that. I, because I can imagine that a tragic event happens like what happened to you, and then you go explain to people what you want to do, and they're like, oh, yeah. And just like you said, well, we've seen this before. We've heard this before. This will last six months, and then it'll go away. And your tenacity with that and just exactly what you said at the end, where I'm not trying to replace your job. I'm not trying to tell you how to do your job. I'm trying to link people up to get assistance. And admirable is nothing describes in my vocabulary what you're doing for people who are in the same situation that you've been through. I just can't describe. So here's a question. How many families and individuals, et cetera, have you helped through Corey's network? We've touched probably around 500 families so far, 350 through um, through the financial portion, which is, we only do a stipend. We don't pay for the entire funeral, of course. And then in addition to that, there's probably a good 150 to 200 families that come to us outside of that, hmm. that just need the counseling referrals or they need to understand how to deal with it the court process, or they need someone to go with them to court, or they need to understand how to deal with the court process or their investigator or how to move forward. And at our last vigil, we had probably 125 people that were there just to honor the 700 individuals, and they were there to honor their particular loved one that, uh, that they had thought that nobody even remembered. and. My husband, his name's Bob Norris, co-founder as well, he was Corey's stepdad for 10 years, and he takes it upon himself to reach out to every homicide victim and try to make a contact with them, find out if they need any financial help. But then if it's an unsolved homicide, he reaches out to them, tries to find out what the circumstances were, find a picture of this individual, find out exactly what the reward is for this homicide, and puts together what we call our reward posters. And then he then electronically posts them to our Facebook and our Twitter and our Instagram. And it's like his meditation time every single day. Mm. And he will sit there and pray for or meditate or think about this person and the effect that it's having on that person's family. And he does that for all 700 of these families that, that we've identified. And this is 700 families that are still unsolved. That's not including the ones that have become solved since we started this process. Yeah, that was a question because, as you were talking that I had. Is there like a reverse refer where maybe a family 
member or a family would go to law enforcement or a court system or a social system and say, hey, I need help. And they may say, hey, call Corey's network. They can help you through that. But it sounds like your husband initiates a lot of this with the families. He initiates a lot, but I will tell you that the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department, the Kansas City, Kansas Police Department, the Independence Police Department, which is a suburb, and many other police departments, they refer to us. All of the funeral homes in the urban area, in the Kansas City, Missouri, and Kansas City, Kansas area, they all refer to Corey's Network. I mean, they, Kansas City, Kansas, because we're right on, just like St. Louis is both sides of the border, we're right here on the border too. So we don't just do Missouri, we do both sides. Kansas City, Kansas, it's required of the police when they go to a homicide to hand out our brochures. That's great. And keep in mind, just so, you, so that you and I are on the same page, Corey's network, there's not one paid person on our staff. This is done by a nine-person board of directors and volunteers. We've never accepted a grant. We've never accepted any, any kind of, like, government assistance or anything else. This is all done by donation. And volunteers. So for us to be able to know that our brochures are being handed out by government officials is amazing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's huge. You brought up about how other agencies want you to write a letter so they can get additional funding. How do you get your funding, Shelley? Out of the kindness of the people in our community. They do fundraisers on Facebook. They do fundraisers through Pampered Chef. They do fundraisers to Tupperware. They do fundraisers all through the community. We're doing fundraisers until COVID. Of, we were doing the auctions and those kind of things. And then not too long ago, I got a phone call from Jeff at Highland Park. He's here in Kansas City, Kansas. And actually, I stepped down from the presidency and now I'm the director of the public relations. But the president called and she said, I have Jeff on the line and, and you need to hear what he just told me. And I said, okay. And he said, hi, I, I entered into a drawing with a, a local urn company and I won and I'm going to donate the money to Corey's Network. And I said, well, that's wonderful. And he said, you're going to get a $10,000 check. Wow. And I said, Jeff, I love you. Oh. And he says, well, all of the funeral homes in the area love you because we know that if you're involved, that we're going to get some money. Because if you are involved, we know that money is already in the mail, period. And a terrible thing to talk about, but the cost of a funeral is so and the fact it's that ridiculous. it is. And the fact I've gone through a couple in my family just recently. And there's some tough decisions that have to be made when you're doing a funeral. The fact that you all are helping with that expense, it's such, even that $10,000 donation, that may just help for one funeral. What a big thing to take on, I guess. Right. You know, to take on yeah. trying to give someone the dignity at the end of their life and to help give some closure, like you say, because to lose a family member in this way like you say, I don't think there's any new normal. Like you say, you don't get over it. Your life has changed. 
I've lost a, a child myself. It wasn't quite as tragic as being murdered brutally. It was not a timely death for my daughter, but you never get over it. It's right. not, there's, they go, oh, it'll be a new normal. You'll be fine. You know, they're trying to console you. But as you know, Sherry, it's just, you just never, it's just different. There's a numbness, I think. There's a, definitely a hole in your heart. There's a piece missing. And to have her organization helping you move on and try to move on, you're still here on the earth walking and trying to contribute. And it makes a big difference to have people there to help you do that. So I applaud what you're doing. And the cost of funerals, and I know that's a lot of what you do too, is just amazing to me. And folks, uh-huh. you, you can't give enough, I don't think. Well, and- Arnold, can I, yeah. can I ask you a question real quick? Sure. What is your daughter's name? Oh, that's not, that would be Mark. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was Shannon. Her name was Shannon. Oh, was that Mark? Yeah. Yeah. That was Shannon. Okay. Her name was Shannon. Uh, Shannon. Uh-huh. She had three children. I got three grandkids from Shannon and, uh, I, she was in an operation, that, an operation that went really bad where the doctor should have stopped and didn't stop. Another doctor had to come in and stop him to try to revive her and keep her alive. And we went to court. We sued. He, that we won the suit. It was far more than they could even allow because it was so terrible. And there's, I guess there's a ceiling as to how much money, you know, that they could get. And they, they couldn't even award what the jury came back and said how horrendous this was. And so it wasn't brutal in one way, but it was brutal in another way. It's very tough for us as a family. And people came and tried to help and tried to console us and help us along. And it, and that did help. And that was important. But if you don't have the means to bury your loved one, an organization like what you're doing, if you don't know where to turn, what to do, an organization like she has here Mark, right. is, right. is invaluable to even trying to get up in the morning and take the next step forward that you have to take. Cause there are children, you know, well, and, and Mark, first of all, I'm really sorry for the loss of, of Shannon. And one of the things that the we deal with our families, which is why I asked your daughter's name, is that a lot of our families, um, and I'm sure that you've dealt with this, people quit saying your daughter's name. Quit saying so You just sent chills. You just sent chills through me. I just got goosebumps when you said that because it is so true. I carry her with me. So I, I don't want to, <laughs> I'm getting choked up, but I carry her with me. I carry, and I even say her name throughout the day. I'll say Shannon, you know, I'll talk to her, uh, but no one else is, but you're right. No one else is saying her name. And that's why I wanted to make sure that Shannon's name was said. And that's part of the reason that I named Corey's network, Corey's network, because it forces every person who talks about this program to say my son's name. Every time someone says Corey's name, it, it gives me that same thrill. And the other part of it is it's named a network because it's not Corey's all-encompassing, we do everything for everybody thing. It's Corey's network because we try to network with other programs to make sure that all of the needs are met. And for me, putting those 700 faces out there into the public eye, it's saying the people's name. It's like giving that parent that moment where their child's name is that again. 
and that recognition that Shannon walked the earth, that Corey walked the earth, that that they were people, that they were loved, that they were important, and that someone out there gives that day, you know? Yeah. And that that's really what all of this is about. Corey was one of the most giving young men you could possibly think of. He was 22, and he ended up being an organ donor. He donated, not that he saves five lives, he gave sight to two people. He gave veins, he gave blood, he gave bone marrow, he gave bone, he gave tissue. He gave so much that there's more PVC in my son's casket than there is Corey. But on the other hand, this young man that I was able to take care of for his entire life, I could not pay for his funeral because I did not have insurance on my phone. And because of that, and when I walked out and I realized that I had to beg other people to help me pay for my son's funeral, I had to beg other people. And I realized how embarrassing that was for me to have other people have to help me pay for my son's funeral. And the moment that he needed me most in his entire life, the moment of his death, I couldn't take care of him. The other part of it was when I walked out and I said, where is my victim's advocate? And they said, you're not going to get one until your son's case is solved. And I was a social worker for 25 years up to that moment. And it ticked me off. Oh, yeah. Because I had been helping people for 25 years, and I'd helped my community for 25 years, but you're not going to help me? How do you put 25 years into drug dealers, gang members, dropouts, truants? Abused and battered women, sexually abused children. I was a teacher at a college. I was teaching psychology, sociology, and critical thinking when Corey was murdered. I had I worked for Missouri Department of Corrections. I worked for the family courts. I'd run through shelters for abused and battered women. I'd done all these different things, but no one wanted to be there for me. And I said at that moment. I cannot sit back and watch another woman get on television and see her crying like I was crying and know I could have helped her and I didn't. And that is where Corey's network came from. I wanted my first neighbor said, I wanted to make sure no one had to feel the way I did. And it had to be a connection to all of the different programs in the area. And I will tell you, and I told people, we're going to help people pay for funerals. Everyone in the room looked at me like I was a nut. And we don't pay for the whole funeral. We give a small stipend, but it's more than their uncle Charlie will give them. Hmm. And it's from somebody who should say, you don't know me, but I love you. And that's quite network in a nutshell. You've built connections with people, you've built credibility, and you have a an honest and a 
loving uh, commitment to seeing this through. And I think that's become evident over the course of time with the agencies that you dealt with. And they understand that you're the real deal and you really care. And I can't imagine in a moment when you really need assistance that you can't get any. Mm -hmm. That's a very lonely place to be. And Shelly, you've worked through, around, under every obstacle to make it into a positive benefit for people who have to go through what you've gone through. And I want to let people know, coreysnetwork.org, C-O-R-E-Y-S, network.org. Folks, if you can donate, do so. Because I'm going to be really honest with you, Shelley. I went on, you have fundraising nights. You said you have people that do Tupperware parties. And I can't believe that agencies ask you to write a letter so they can get grants and extra money. And yet none of that money flows your way for what you're doing. And so I want to appeal to the St. Louis community to get on Corey's network and donate. And this is a great model to utilize in our city. I think you're doing some outstanding work and you're helping individuals and families heal in a way that maybe they couldn't. And I commend you for that. And what you're doing is unbelievable. Thank you. Thank you very much. One of the things that we do while you're on the website, um, and people look at it under our services area, there's a CNI referral form. And that is available to anyone in our community that, so if you're a police officer, we've had police officers, we've had medical personnel, we've had social workers, we've had advocates from other programs and et cetera. And I'm going to, I'm going to step back for just a moment. By the way, I got my advocate three and a half years after my son was murdered when the man was actually caught. Mm. Um, but anyways, I've had other advocates that have used it, etc. But if you go to that CMI referral form and you fill it out at the very end of it, it says, we work in connection with other programs. Do we have your permission to share your information? If you say yes, your information instantaneously goes to Ad Hoc Group Against Crime, Mala on a Mission, Healing Pathways, Aid for Peace, Parents of Murdered Children, Giving Loved Ones Workshop, the Kansas City, Kansas Police Department, the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department, the Kansas City, Missouri Mayor's Office, and the Independent Missouri Mayor's Office. All of those places get that information instantaneously. Therefore, they can then, Ad Hoc Group Against Crime provides Adult grief counseling, healing pathways provides free children's grief counseling, and for peace does mentoring and mentoring and uh, conflict resolution. Parents of murdered children and giving love the grieving loved ones workshop do grief workshops, grief their support groups. Um, the mayor's office, both of them, they do that just they've got statistics on how much we do. The police departments both know them who we're working with so that they can better refer to us. But that way, rather than a person like myself having to go into the community and say, can you help me? Can you help me? Can you help me? 
instead those different programs, because of their memorandums of understanding with Corey's network, then go to that person and say, I can help you. Wow. And that's the difference. That's a huge that's difference. difference. You've made a difference in a lot of lives. A lot of lives. I want to thank Shelly Norris, who is the co-founder of Corey's Network, Inc. Shelly, continue the work that you're doing. And you're doing this all on a shoestring and on your spare time, in your spare time. But what you've done has been yes. unbelievable. Thank you. I appreciate it. You take care, Shelly. Let's stay in touch, okay? Definitely. Anytime you want. Thank you, Shelly. Take care. Thank you. You too. We had a very heavy conversation with Shelly Norris from Corey's Network, Inc. And that is a Kansas City-based organization. And folks, you might wonder, well, why are you talking about Kansas City? Well, it's, it's a great model. And I wanted to mention the group in St. Louis that's similar but not similar. And we've had these folks on and talked to them. It's the group called Life Outside of Violence. And they are actually linked with BJC, St. Louis University, St. Louis Children's Hospital, and Cardinal Glennon's Hospital. And Life Outside of Violence, their role is to help those harmed by stabbing, gunshot, or assault receive treatment, support, and resources to find alternatives to end the cycle of violence. So it's a little different kind of approach. It's not for people who are deceased from violent crime or from a violent act like Shelley's son and how she had to deal with that. So if you want more information on life outside of violence, you can go to Washington University, just go to bjc.org and plug in life outside of violence, or just plug that into a search engine and you can get to the proper information there. I read Shelley's story in a news article and I was like, we need to talk to her. Because it's she's doing something that's unusual. And you hear about a lot of people who try to help other people and things like that. But she's been doing this for nine years now. And it has a lot of credibility. But the thing that gets me, Mark, and we mentioned this, I talked to you about this off the air, is she's doing this on a shoestring. They have Chuck E. Cheese fundraisers. Mm-hmm. It's like, you got to be kidding. So all of you folks out there who have millions and millions of dollars that you donate to some organization... This would be a great organization to donate a couple, five figures to. Yeah. You know? And people who who donate before the end of the year for their taxes, this would be a great organization to donate to. Right. Right. She's very humble in what she's doing. And they're doing it on their spare time. No paid employees. Right. Nine people involved. I'm just amazed. I'm just amazed. It's all from the heart. It is. It is. Not the head, the heart. It is. Makes a difference. Because of her. I'm so yeah. We should all be proud of folks like that. Oh my gosh, yes. It's work that not many of us would do, but needs to be done that is so important and so vital to these families. We are glad you decided to listen to this episode of St. Louis in Tune. We know there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and we are glad that you have chosen to listen to us. St. Louis in Tune is produced in cooperation with KWRH 92.9 FM and Motif Media Group. For St. Louis in Tune, I'm Arnold Stricker.